Master Bowman podcast. If you're obsessed with the strategies, gear, and stories that will make you a better backcountry bow hunter, you're in the right place. We're independent, unsponsored, and unbiased, so we can cut the fluff and give you detailed advice on what really works and what doesn't. Today's episode is all about making the shot happen. Everything from how to find the doorway, how to pick the best position, making sure to limit your movement, and wrapping it up with exactly where you should put an arrow and an elk. So this ties together everything we've been talking about from finding elk all the way into making the shot. Well, good morning, Josh. What's up, Baxter? Oh, you know, living that baby dream. Not much sleep last <laughs> night, but uh, still loving it. Yeah, and back to work now, which is intense. <laughs> yeah, no, we've got a lot going on, but um, I get to take, I'm taking a lot of my paternity leave over elk hunting season this fall, which would be really cool. Uh, we've got uh, Margaret and the baby coming with us, uh, coming with me, and uh, got a little tiny RV. So we're all going to be up there for two, three weeks, which is going to be a pretty amazing time. So awesome. Yeah. Um, I always used to ask you this uh, when you came to work, kind of sleep deprived, but have you broken and taken the cup of coffee today? <laughs> uh, no, I, uh, I don't drink any caffeine, uh, which scares a lot of guys, but just water, a lot of water. The more water you drink, the more alert you are. Nice. Uh, so yeah, lots and lots of water, but. We'll yeah. see. Give me a month, you know, maybe, uh, maybe I'm going to go back <laughs> on my ways. The nice thing about not drinking caffeine is when you take a sip of coffee, you're ripping. Exactly. That's so yeah. I, I drink caffeine like maybe once a week or once every two weeks when, when the time, like I, when I don't get enough sleep and it works, it works. It well. really works. <laughs> yeah. So good times. Yeah. Well today, yeah, man, we've just had a blast the past few, but today's even more fun. This is the making the shot one. It's like how, how to connect. You know, we did finding the elk getting close and today's like, okay, you're close. Now, how do you make it happen? Um, I think I keep saying these are all critical and they all are, but uh, I think this one is like the least understood and the most often mislabeled. So guys are like, ah, you know, I couldn't have done anything about that. And that was a horrible shot set up and all the elk just chose to come in wrong. And all of those things are really, really true. But if they'd done different stuff ahead of time, the situation would have worked out differently. Mm. So it's almost impossible to know you did a bad job at this one. Um, and yeah, so it's a really, really powerful set of lessons. Yeah. Well, you said it's impossible to know you did a bad job or a lot of the time, right? So for example, say an elk comes in and hangs up on a tree uh, behind a tree at 40 yards. And you're like, oh, man, there's nothing I could have done about that. There was no shot. Right. Mm -hmm. But in reality, if you'd selected a better position, you'd known where the doorway was for that elk to be there. You'd spaced out your collar slightly upwind and off to the side. Um, and you'd already set up so you didn't have to move and you might not have alerted him and made the right calls. Like there's a lot of little things you could have done ahead of time that might have meant all of a sudden you had a shot bot. You were standing off to the side and had a perfect shot opportunity. Oh, Does that make gotcha. sense? Yeah, like, yeah. If you don't even know what questions to ask, it's hard to know what you did wrong. Right, right. So most guys are like, oh, that was completely out of my control and couldn't have done anything about it. But an experienced elk hunter might have said, hey, actually, there was this other place you should have been or like they, they normally come up this way or something like that. Yeah. And I know there's probably some guys are like, dude, you've only hunted like five years. What the heck? But um, a lot of this learning, a lot of it, I was blown away by how similar it was to spearfishing. Uh, so 25 years of that. But then a ton of what I've done with this one is, I know this can make guys laugh, but I've watched over two or 300 YouTube videos on this yeah. with shot placement and I've recorded the results of all of them. And so I'm going to post eventually on what are the mistakes I see guys making? What are the things? So in oh, fact, wow. I've had this awesome opportunity to analyze like two or 300 different shot opportunities. Right. Dang. Um, 
And so I learned a ton from watching that and from my own experience there. So yeah, definitely don't have the same amount of shot opportunities as someone who's been doing it 30, 40 years, but, uh, but I'm super passionate about this. And I think this is like, like if I look at my, my at bats, when I get an elk within a hundred yards, I can say I'm, I'm closing the deal like over 40% of the time, which I think is a really high rate. Um, and I'll kind of, I think the average is probably like low single digits. So oh, wow. I'm pretty stoked, stoked on that. And that's, I think that's a really big difference between going home with an elk or not. Yeah. You know, I'm like surprised that you watched two, 300 videos and then recorded all the results, but at the same time, I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm like, that is, that is intense. <laughs> so, uh, I think it's just like, I know I'm going to be doing it anyway. I'm excited just to watch them, but yeah, I, like it took like five or 10 and all of a sudden it's like, I wonder if like, is what's the number one thing that stops guys from shooting? And I'm like, okay, well, I just started like writing it down on a note file and I was like, oh, I'll put this in the next uh, Like, yeah, it's just a slippery slope, right? Yeah. Oh, that'd be so cool to post on, I think on a blog, like an Excel sheet of just like most common mistakes that you've yep. seen. We'll yeah. Definitely. We'll do that. We'll, we'll do another podcast on that one too. Um, nice. It's really clear what you should not be doing. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, let's, we'll keep it focused today and we'll talk all about the shot. Um, well, moment of truth. Oh, the, I feel like this is the part that I, I'm most nervous about, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think most guys are probably most nervous about that moment of truth and because it's a question mark and, and you don't really know how you'll handle it in the situation until it happens kind of thing. Yep. So yeah, curious to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. And I hopefully this gives you a little confidence too, just where you're like, you know what you should be doing mm-hmm. and like, you're just confident that like, I'm going to do it. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't. I think that's really important for you with elk hunting is that I'm like I said, I'm really excited about getting slightly over a third close rate. Like that's really low. Um, one out of 10 is very normal. So you're going to have a lot more elk come in close than you actually get a shot opportunity on. Right. Um, so just be prepared for that. Like set that expectation in your head, but also like, we'll talk about all the little things you can do to try to up your odds. Yeah. Sounds Um, good. So this is the, like the only podcast I've been like genuinely nervous that I can't really get a concept across. So let's like really dive into this. uh, Cause I think this is one of the most important, important things. And it's, um, I call it finding the doorway. Uh, and I ripped that off of Paul Medell. Um, I remember I was listening to a podcast with him. I think it was Exo Mountain Gear, uh, which actually had the podcast released with them, what, this week. So uh, really cool for guys if they want to go listen to that. I had a great conversation with the Hunt Back Country podcast. Um, but when he, when Paul, is the elk net guy, um, said this concept, it was like someone clicked a switch, right? Because mm-hmm. I kind of noticed this all my years spearfishing and hunting and um it's uh it made a lot of sense let me say it and then we'll talk through what it is so the concept of the doorway is basically you're in your house and you hear like some sort of weird noise in a room right and when you go to that room to check it out the first thing you do is not run into the middle of the room and walk right up to where you heard the noise like that's just that's unnatural right you Mm -hmm. look around the doorway you kind of like peer around the door frame and look into the room like what the hell's going on mm-hmm. um and that's because you don't know what's what's there you want to preserve yourself you want to be safe right mm-hmm. and you don't want to like walk into a situation that might be dangerous um that same concept times 100 is what elk would deal with every day right like everything is trying to kill them and eat them and so anytime they come into a doorway looking into what i call quote unquote a room in an in an area um 
they're always, always, always going to stop at the first point they can see the entire area. Right. Like that's just, just how it is. Um, and so this was also something to really notice with spearfishing too. I think we actually talked a little bit about this after the podcast last week, Josh, but mm-hmm. um, so with spearfishing, for example, uh, you've got to get within five or 10 feet with the Hawaiian sling style stuff I learned as a kid. It's like super stinking close. And the fish like innately know, like we talked about last week, the elk moving, they innately know where they're safe and they move in positions that are to their advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's always these kind of weak links we talked about last week. Yeah. And they're the same way in that they're, they're always going to be able to see you from a position and they're not going to come any closer. And so you have to set it up so that there's areas that you kind of surprise them from the side. Mm-hmm. And so we, we talked about it and you were, you were like, what? But there'll be times you'd be following a fish on the surface for like 20, 30 minutes, um, just watching and waiting for the exact moment. And then you have to time it even more perfectly with that because you don't have the breath, right? You have to be, you can only be down like a minute, 32, three minutes if you're really good. Mm-hmm. So you have to like set this up. And so that when that fish comes to the doorway, you're within range. Um, so anyway, does that, is that concept starting to make sense? Yeah, the doorway makes sense. Now, what I think is going to be challenging for me is like looking at stuff and be like, is that a doorway? Is yeah. that not a doorway? And how do you find, how, how long did it take you to figure out like how to see a doorway out in the woods? A while. And that's what I was kind of nervous about talking about this is like the doorway concept is easy to relate, but the whole like, what is a room, quote unquote, mm-hmm. guys get real hung up on that. And they're like, what the heck? Um, and this is not like, I think everyone thinks something super obvious, right? They think like, big meadow they think like a lane in the trees they think um you know all that stuff and that's kind of true right like those are those are doorways but um you can also have little areas like there's a thinning in the timber like you're in really thick dark timber and there's just kind of a thinning right and you can all of a sudden see like 50 yards instead of the 10 20 yards you've been able to see so far okay i'll kind of pick up on that right they're super sensitive they'll they come into that and the first thing you're going to do is stop and look because mm-hmm. they know that they can see th- all the way through that area. Um, so we can try to come up with more examples, but it's really difficult. It's basically just anywhere you go from seeing a, s- a shorter distance to seeing a longer distance. It's like entering a quote unquote room. Okay. Got it. So I, I almost imagine it as if I had like a laser pointer mm-hmm. and I, I'm standing and I'm, I'm like going to do a circle, like a whole radius and like everything around me is like 10 feet, 10 feet, 20 feet, 30 feet. And then all of a sudden there's this huge, like the laser just shoots out to like 80 yards or something. Is that like a, a like a hallway you would say, or like, a- yeah, that's a good way to envision it. And, but um, it also can be, like differences in foliage. I think this is super important. So you might be in dark timber and there's tons and tons of leaves on the trees and you can really only see, you know, 20, 30 yards, but you might be in aspens that are just as thick, but there's enough room between them that it's pretty easy to see like a foot gap at like 90 yards. Okay. So the effective room size there is like 90 yards, right? Because you can see little tiny things. Mm -hmm. Um, As we talked about elk really cue on movement. So, um, that's really important for guys too. Cause a lot of them are like, Oh, well I set up here and it was, you know, 40 yards to that tree. And I'm like, no, we'll have your buddy walk, walk up into that area. Right. And we always do this after I take a shot on elk. I always have Margaret walk up there. I walk up there and we kind of look at each other back and forth. But it's like, if I, if I knew where you were, cause if you call, trust me, elk know exactly where you are. Um, if, so say you and I are in the, 
the trees and we're half a mile apart and you know exactly to the spot where I am. I want you to try to sneak up on me in the first millisecond you can see where I'm standing. I want you to freeze. Oh, and that is almost always like 20, oh. 30, 40 yards further than you think. Cause there's always like a one or two inch hole in the trees or something like that. Right. 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 And uh, that's how elk think too. The first millisecond they can see where you are, especially if they know where you are, right. There's kind of two scenarios. One, they're alert to your location with calling the other. They're kind of just coming in blind. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to freeze. Right. Yeah. Okay. So they're, they're going to come in and like slowly basically get as close or I, I guess like stay as far as they can but while still being able to see where they heard the sound yeah and this is when elk being visible really works against you right like remember how easy it is to see them because they're tan and they're bright and they're whatever well mm-hmm. elk know that too and if they're expecting to see an elk oh. they're not like i wonder if it's there they're looking around they're like i'm gonna see something bright huge and white you know what i mean mm-hmm. <laughs> so they start getting really fidgety if they don't see that uh because they're expecting it, right? And elk, elk don't really like bugle and run. <laughs> they kind of mosey around if they're so. An elk, if it heard you talk or, or say something to it within a few minutes, and it gets to your room, it's gonna freak out if you're not there because it's like that elk should be in that area, right? This might be a bit off topic, but have you ever used a decoy or anything like that while going solo? I have not, just because they're you know they're pretty heavy and bulky. But um, I really do want to try one up from. I've watched uh, watched a lot of videos and actually talked to a few guys about it, but um, almost always they say they're best at far open terrain and farther range, which is really interesting. Mm, okay. Yeah, I would love to try one because I imagine you know having that there. But the the hard thing is you shift and reposition so much it'd be really difficult to like drop it, move up fifty yards, and be in the perfect spot. Because often right. you like move ten or twenty to the left or the right, or you know, and then the mm. decoy's not in the line of vision, and yeah, yada yada yada. Yeah, and this thing you got to lug around and reposition all the all the time. So, yeah, yeah. So it's worked well enough without it. I would love to try one out eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it'd really be great with a partner, especially if a partner's calling. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's on the list for sure. Yeah, uh, but I can't say I have enough experience to say yeah or nay yet. Okay. Um, And then your first time you went elk hunting, did did you know about the doorway concept already? Like that first hunt and like, were you looking for them? No. So I I mean, I kind of innately knew about it. I after two or three decades of basically hunting fish underwater and fly fishing. Like I kind of had a concept of it and I think I Mm -hmm. understood it. Um, So I'd say that like I had 80 or 90% of it, but I didn't like have it in my brain as that way. Yeah. Um, and I learned that a lot. I think I've got a photo up of that, you know, that initial shot that I took and the, the elk that pinned me at 82 yards. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was what I was, that was kind of the first time I really learned about it is, you know, that cow, we talked about experience on another podcast, but that cow pinned me from 82 yards. I think it was instantly. Um, yeah. And that was, she was, I've got it circled on the website. You can see it, but she was between this tiny, tiny little six to eight inch gap between a tree. Um, and she nailed me and I wasn't, it makes it look like I was standing in the open in this. That was just for the photo. I was in the trees to the left. Um, so I kind of picked up on that really quick. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I effectively got busted even though I got lucky and she didn't freak out. Yeah. yeah. So where, 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 where should you have been in that photo? In that photo? Um, I mean, it's really open yeah. and there's not really. I guess that was an interesting one because I'm stalking her. It's not the other way around. The majority mm-hmm. of elk encounters, you're calling them in or they're coming to you. 
Um, and so if I was stalking her, I would have probably stayed in the, the darker brush to the higher right mm-hmm. uh, because the wind was coming down right to left. Um, and so, you know, I knew they were moving up to the right. So kind of sliding up that way in the thicker stuff, but uh, got it. Okay. Yeah. But the bull I shot ended up sneaking around from the left. So I kind of got lucky there. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So nice fun times, but yeah. So, you know, keep asking me questions about the doorway thing, but I think the, we talked a little bit about it for getting close. Like it's really important to think about like, Hey, you can run and make a lot of noise, but then once you get near the doorway, you need to shut up and go super silent. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also really pays off when you're moving through the woods. Like every time I enter a new doorway, it's kind of just subconscious at this point, I stop. Right. And I don't like walk until you're in the edge of it and stop. Like I'm talking like the first time the top of your retinas comes over the edge of something like stuff, right? Well, okay. Is the minimum amount of you visible is the best possible thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've actually surprised two or three groups of elk and had some good shot opportunities just by walking and stopping, walking and stopping, like we've talked about. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's important for those things. What it's really important for is the shot opportunity and setting up. Yeah. Um, Seems tough. Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about positioning, picking the right position for shooting. Cause I think that's the biggest part of this. That's really how you put the doorway thing into practice, right? Like it's a great theory. Sounds cool, professor man, but like, what do you do about it? Um, and so, man, I've hammered this one a bunch, but I'll keep hammering it. it uh, always be where the elk want to go. Right. Like it's and guys are like, well, how do you know what the, where the elk want to go? And I'm like, exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> they, uh, there's that we talked about the routes they want to come in. We talked about their behavior traveling up when we've tra- talked about their doorway preferences. There's a lot we've talked about that you, you're starting to kind of cobble together. Um, but especially with each of these different little room areas, there's guys are like, oh man, there's like, tw- you know, 3 million ways they could come in. They come from the left, the right, the front, the back. But if you've been in that area and you're kind of aware of the sign, generally there's only a few different routes the elk come into and come out of areas because like we talked about they know what's the thing that's set up to their benefit right um so it's really important to kind of anticipate what they're going to do you know, look at the the really well-defined uh, paths if you're calling them and you know where they're coming from so you know probably which path they're coming down um if not look at uh you look at the thinning of the timber is it open are they going to come through there is it side hilling right they tend to stay on a straight line so if they're you see tra- tracks already, just kind of look at a straight line up that way, um, find the gaps they're going to come through, that sort of thing. Um, it's hard to get specific here because it's so different for every single thing. Yeah. But don't like don't set up somewhere that you want to try to call them to you. Go set up somewhere that they're already going to be walking and want to come down that path. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And I did hear on a, another podcast once they how like it's – elk are more likely to come downhill than like go uphill so mm-hmm. is that kind of an example of like going where they you think they're going to be yeah if you're calling i think it's safe to say they'll come more side hill or uphill or downhill because mm-hmm. um, you're asking them to do something they don't want to do if you're going uphill so yeah that's a really good point that's just another factor to to add in there I mean, I think a good thing to think through is if you're setting up your calling or something's happening fast and you just pick a random spot you're completely rolling the dice right? versus it takes a lot of mental capacity to deal with this. But if you hear a bull screaming, don't, don't hit him right back and call to him, take 30 seconds to a minute and walk around in a 50 yard circle to find where the paths, where the openings, where the things 
Mm-hmm. Um, don't just like randomly set up and pray, right? Uh, maybe you get lucky and he's pissed and he's coming right to you. But I think that ounce of prevention, like walking around and figuring out where the elk are and where he's going to come from and where he wants to go is the most important spot to picking a position. Interesting. Okay. And so, so it's coming down. The elk is coming. Wow. Even when you're super excited, you have to like do like a 50 mile or 50 yard quick like loop, I guess, around this and then to find the best like doorway or lane where they're heading to. Yeah, and if I'm calling a bull too, and I know he's coming in, usually if if he responds, he's coming in. Yeah, so you've got like you know a few minutes usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even before I'm going to initiate, like we talked about, I typically aren't. I'm not calling as I move in towards him because he's very aware of it. I'm waiting until I'm like right in his red zone before I first call. That's my yeah. strategy for calling. Uh, I'm going to come in and I'm going to spend time researching the area, right? Learning the area, figuring out the minute or two, like, where's the trails? What's the stuff? Then I'll call, right? Mm-hmm. Versus a lot of guys are just so stoked that you, and I did this too for a year too. You're just so excited that you're just calling. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's just rolling dice, right? Um, so you might double or triple your odds just by not calling until you found a good spot. Ah, got it. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to do. It's easy to say hard to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is also another reason I'm a huge advocate of why I hunt the same spots year after year. I'd always add a new spot every year, but I go back to the same ones. Cause once you really know the spot, like I don't, I don't have to wonder what are all the two or three little trails that are coming into an area. I'm like, Oh, they always bed up there. Right. I like that area. And they like come in here. So I know they're somewhere along this general line. So whenever they're going to come in, they're going to come from that side. Um, and that's just invaluable information so it's really hard to tell guys well why should you hunt somewhere year over year but when you've got that that might make your shot four times more likely right mm-hmm. which is pretty incredible um anyway i'm going off on tangents but it's all coming together here right yeah and that's a part of the elk hunting where it just takes time i feel like to, to get to know the area and get to know the elk in the area and what their behavior is day to day totally um so yeah i'm totally gonna go out there a few days early and try to try to front load that a little bit yeah. And you'll start adding spots to your database, right? Like you'll pick two or three spots. And if you're there every year, you find out more and more about it. And like, you're just, your odds just keep going up and up and up and up. Right. Um, so it's really fun. Um, so anyway, back to like tactics. So you kind of know where they're coming from. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the next really important thing is always move up, especially if you're solo. So you can't call and then just have them come to you. Cause always, like we talked about with the doorway, they'll hang up when they can first see you. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're calling, they know exactly where you are. You've got to move up. Right. Uh, and that's, everyone's like, well, how many yards is that? And I've read a lot of articles that are like, Oh, 40 yards or 80 yards or, and my answer is there is no number I can give you. Right. It's where's the doorway. <laughs> right. So move up to at least the doorway, maybe plus 20 yards mm-hmm. um, because they're going to, what are they going to do? They're going to walk in, they're going to stop and they're going to look right yeah. where you're at. Um, and this also is, even if you are not calling, they don't know you're there. This is the same concept because if you're sitting in the middle of the room, they're going to come to what the edge and then look. And no matter how good we are at disguising ourselves, we're never like there, there's always little things. There's movement. There might be a weird swirl in the wind, like elk are phenomenal at picking you up. And so if you're in the middle of a room, you're giving them a ton of opportunity right? Mm-hmm. And they're naturally more aware there. They stop and they perk their head up. They're aware versus maybe the 20 yards before they hit the doorway. They're just trucking because they know they're in an area they looked at hundred yards ago. And they're like, oh, it was pretty safe then. They can't like spend their entire life looking around, right? They've got to 
keep moving. Yeah. So, so when you, you, let's say you call and they're, they're heading uh, towards you and then you move up while you're moving up, are you doing this very quietly at this point? Yeah. Oh, super, super quietly. Okay. Um, so if I'm, you know, anyway, I'm doing this from calling or I'm just going to try to ambush them. I'm going to move in as quiet as humanly possible. Yeah. Cause any twig snap is going to alert them to where you are. So that's another good point is like, you might call move up 80 yards, but if you like crack a twig at 80 yards, you bet your bottom dollar that elk now knows what it thought was another elk calling. It's going to be like, Oh, it's 80 yards closer to me. Right. Like it walked towards me. Yes. Yeah. And then it's going to what hang up. 80 yards sooner. Right, right. So you absolutely have to be dead stinking silent uh, when you, when you move up and then at the doorway. So, um, let's say you call now you move up really quietly. You get to that doorway. Is that exactly where you want to be? Cause I mean, I, I guess they'll be looking straight at you then at that point, but, um, yeah, I would always move up a little bit further than the doorway. Cause also the doorway is almost always a little further than you think. We're pretty okay. bad at evaluating uh, that as humans. So like, give it an extra twenty yards, because um, mm-hmm. it's also like I talked about. When they get to the doorway, they become alert. They step up. You know, they they put their head up. They look. So if you get them yeah. before that, um, oh. it's great because they'll be head down, kind of moving, mm-hmm. and then you you can shoot. Oh, interesting. Okay, so you kind of want to get maybe around the doorway and like to a point where you can see them coming up to it. Correct. Yeah. Oh. That's that's the best setup. It's kind of like that that little spot right there. Oh, got it. Okay, so you want to see them, or basically have your shot opportunity before, or maybe just before they start looking in the doorway. Not like they're looking through the doorway and then you shoot through the doorway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And if you if you think about it too, like in a line, you're standing somewhere. Like, let's think about where you are in the doorway. Right. It's always mm-hmm. a straight line to it, mm-hmm. and so. You know, if you move up to somewhere where you're going to shoot them in the doorway, like you're almost always in a straight line to them, which is a bad shot. Gotcha. So that's another yeah. really important thing with this is always, always move to the downwind side, off to the side of the doorway. Downwind side. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, because they'll, you know, this is pretty widely known, but they'll, they will always, if they're anxious or they're the slightest bit nervous, they're going to circle around you on the downwind side because hmm. they're going to try to get your wind right so like if i can't see it at least i'll get its wind before i see it that's what i look like to do so oh. if you're looking at that doorway you've got your little wind checker that um, you know, i was talking to, to margaret about this the other day and she's like yeah you're a maniac with that thing like every 20 seconds you're checking the wind <laughs> and i'm like well thanks love nice of you to call me crazy um but when you're looking at that that doorway or that spot where you're now like i think that's where they're going to come to you know, pull out your wind checker and look. And if the you're looking straight at it and the wind's drifting to the left, for example, I would always walk way off to the left, mm-hmm. you know, 40 yards to the left um, and, and set up there because that's, you know, if they start circling downwind, they're going to kind of circle around to your left to try to get your wind. Before oh, they see you. okay. Got it. So you find the doorway, you move maybe 40, is that what you said? 40 ish yards away downwind from the doorway and maybe up a little bit or yeah and that's that all i mean all these numbers depend really on how thick it is right so it might yeah. be you've got 10 yards of visibility and it's like ultra stinking thick and like that is what it is and you got to be right next to the path they're coming in on mm-hmm. um and you know you also want to you never know the like hey it's nice to think you know the exact path they're coming in on but they might come in 10 or 20 yards left or the right Mm-hmm. So basically you're just setting up that maximizes 
the area that maximizes your shot chances that's not directly in the path they're taking. That's okay. all there is to it. Interesting. Uh, and you'll just have to learn that, right? You, yeah. But generally with modern compound bows, and I've seen how well you shoot, you could be pretty confident within 60, right? Um, and so I would I would generally try to set up shot opportunities for 30. Mm-hmm. And then you've got 30 yards of bleed on either side, right? Gotcha. Okay. Because uh, you've got a pretty good, pretty good lane. And we'll talk about longer distance shots later, but I think another thing guys don't understand is that if you think, so let's take a little, little aside on this, but if you shoot 20 yards, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, what's the difference between 20 and 40 yards? It's not two X the amount of area you can cover. It's like three or four X and guys are like, wait, what? But think about the look down on yourself from the top. Uh, the area you can cover is pi r squared, right? It's the area of a circle. Yeah. So every 20 yards you add actually creates a much bigger circle. That oh, I see. Yeah, that makes if sense. You, if you add an extra 20 yards to that circle, you create a massive amount of area. And so that's why being able to shoot long range and having really, really good shot control, like we talked about in the practice episode, is key because the difference between like 40 and 60 yards is literally twice the amount of area you could shoot an elk um, as a difference between zero to 40 yards. Wow. And I can I don't have the numbers right here, but we'll, we'll do another podcast on that. But adding 10, 10 yards to your effective distance might double your range at 50 yards. I see. Yeah, because there's so much more area. area. Yeah, like that zone, that danger zone for elk just, get, just gets huge. Huge, right? And that's why... I mean, I think at some point we all have to decide there's an arbitrary limit to our equipment because archery has gotten so good and easy um, over time. And, you know, we're now seeing digital range finder sites and all these other things. And I think, you know, archery is already an arbitrary thing. We've been forcing ourselves to say, like, <laughs> this is what we want to do. And, like, yeah. we have to match the challenge of the animal to the challenge of the equipment. And at some point, like, it's just going to get, it's going to basically take over gun ranges, right? Like a hundred yards will be a feasible shot for most folks at some point. Dang. And so I think, anyway, we're not going to go into the ethics discussion of this, but for now, like know that that's part of the reason I advocate for practicing so well is that extra 10 yards might be the, you know, half the time that might be the difference if it's two times the area. That makes wow. sense. Yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. Okay. So back to the tactics. Um, so picking a lane, right? This is, I almost don't mention this because I, I assume guys figure this out, but you've got to find lanes, right? You can't even touch a branch with the edge of an arrow. It's done. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to find your lanes. Um, I would always, when you're picking a lane, you, a lot of guys will be like, hey, there, come from here. Here's the one lane I'm done. I would always try to find an area that's got a bunch. Like I'd rather choose a bunch of bad lanes versus one really good lane hmm. because elk just do weird stuff sometimes right they might come in and come off to the side or run around you or uh, stop at an angle you're not prepared for and if you've got three or four decent lanes the odds of you finding a shot are a lot better than just like one big old one Um, and they tend to not like to come into big lanes if they're pretty open too yeah Um, so i would always like when you're looking around you find the lane to the area you want to shoot like that is number one and most important but like kind of look left look right look around you uh, you try to find a spot that's got that you can easily reposition a foot or two and like you know change change to another lane. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so you you mentioned that like uh, arrow can't even touch like a branch. Is it hard to find a lane because it seems like there'd be branches everywhere? 
Yeah, like it can be little real. things and leaves and yeah, it can be really, really hard. And like we talked about in the practice one, like you're using your sight to judge whether an arrow is going to hit at, you know, like if it's, you put your target on it, your pin on at 40 and you look where your 20 yard pin. And if there's something at 20, then it's going to hit it. Right. Yeah. Um, you could do that. Like I'm constantly holding up my bow while I'm running around looking for lanes. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is another reason I think it's really important to practice sitting down, kneeling, standing, because right. uh, a lot of the shots I've made, I've like the second year, for example, we were kind of off behind a tree and around a log and I was kneeling and I had to like rotate up back onto one foot and kind of lean backwards while at full draw and shoot. <laughs> and like, that's, uh, if you practice that at the range, it's actually pretty easy. But another thing I would say is definitely practice that in the boots you're using. Because mm-hmm. you don't really realize it, but a lot of the stuff you do is like the spring of the boot. So your brain doesn't, like if you have a super set, stiff set of boots, it's a very different thing to roll onto your heels right. than a pair of running shoes. Um, mm-hmm. So I'd kind of practice that at the range and that made it easy, right? The little yeah. little details like that add up. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's it. Last piece of advice on positioning is like, make sure there's something behind you, behind you, behind you. Um, the instinct here, we all want to get stuff in front of us. So we want to like sneak up. Uh, let me make sure I'm being clear on this. From our perspective, we're behind something, right? Mm-hmm. You want to be from the elk's perspective. Something is behind you. Okay. So you're in front of stuff. You're in front of stuff because we all want to sneak up behind things because we're like, oh, it can't see us and we can lean around the outside. But as we talked about with the outline thing, elk look for the outline. And if you, uh, you know, first, if you're behind something, you can't shoot through that thing, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so it's going to massively limit your shot opportunities, which is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. But two, when you lean around it, you're giving the elk a phenomenal outline because the stuff yeah. behind you is going to be light colored and it's going to give you that great thing. So the second you pop your head out from behind that, the elk's going to just nail you, mm-hmm. right? Uh, versus if you're in front of something, you've got a dark, shady background, you've got camo on, you're invisible. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really nerve-wracking for you because you feel exposed. But if you have something that's completely blurring your outline behind you, they have a hard time seeing you. Yeah, there's a episode on Meat Eater, the the newest season where they go elk hunting. I think in Oregon, I think it was, mm-hmm. and he totally set up behind the tree, mm-hmm. and uh, he he was narrating, and he's like, you know, this was like a very dumb move, like a rookie move, and he set up behind the tree, and also you can notice like the tip of his broadhead just shaking, like as the elk's coming closer, and I was like, wow, even Stephen Ronella, like this guy's you know, hunted and been in so many hunting situations is also shaking at this point and still makes mistakes like that. So, Oh yeah. 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 I mean, I, I sound, sound like I know what I'm doing on this, right? <laughs> 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 like I don't, Oh man. Like the day I'm, the day I tell you, I've got it figured out, like finish the podcast, you know, <laughs> take down my Instagram. Like that's dude, we all like everyone in that situation is like totally nervous. You're shaking, you're freaking out. Uh, but that's again why I'm so adamant about like practicing and thinking through this before, because your your brain is just not capable of making rational decisions in the moment. <laughs> so it's like the more you do ahead of time, the better you're set up for success, right? Yeah, and I guess over time you build, I guess what they would call instincts, right? Where you just know what to do and you don't have to think about it. Yeah. Um, Muscle but, memory, right? Like it's in the same thing, and that's why I think to your question earlier, I kind of cut you off there, sorry, man, um, but like I learned that from 20 years of spearfishing and it kind of just 
adds up, right? Right, right. It's like wired in you. Um, okay, so we got, yeah, you pick the best position. You want to go up to the doorway and then kind of go downwind from it and then mm-hmm. make sure you're, you pick a spot with a few lanes and mm-hmm. then have something behind you. Damn, it's a lot to like check off in your head. <laughs> and like, are you as you're walking around your first season too, like, like the worst thing that happens is is the first time you do this is when you first see an elk. <laughs> Maybe you know first day before season, every ten minutes stop and be like, okay, elk's coming in. Where do I set up? God, yeah, good Just idea. Kind of like mess with yourself a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Give it yourself because you guys might be like, well, you haven't hunted for ten years, but it's like, yeah, well, I've set up for two hundred elk encounters, and you might right. have set up for three, right? Like it's that's you can get practice even if you don't have an elk in your sights. Yeah, that's a good point. I will advocate that to the day I die. You can, yeah, it's not as good as the real thing, but 90% of the real thing done a hundred times is still 90 times better. Right? Yeah, totally. It's not like the first time all these steps are all brand new and you're like, you're just second guessing yourself like crazy. Yeah. And if we, uh, you know, I shouldn't say if, when we get a chance to hunt after the first week or two together, pull, well, we can do some kind of, um, some stuff where like I have, I'll pretend I'm an elk and come in on you know walk towards you like we talked about try to stalk you yeah. and we can kind of do that and that'll like two or three of those will be incredibly helpful for you oh that'd be so yeah. cool yeah so as long as i don't draw like <laughs> yeah yeah don't, don't <laughs> <go back> Josh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man it's crazy times um, all right so we've got the position down you've nailed it you know where you need to be right like mm-hmm. uh and even if you don't like it is what it is right you're set up uh now the name of the game is limiting your movement like the more you can do to stop moving the better okay that's that's the name of the game now and so we'll talk tips for that so yeah like we've talked about this for guys this is their first podcast like elk cue on movement everything from the way the rods and the cones are distributed in their eyes their 280 degrees of visibility versus our 180 like they're 100 set up to pick up movement not detail Mm -hmm. Um, so when they get close like no surprise you absolutely have to worry about that um so a few tips like one foot placement and you actually uh josh has been doing the boy scout thing he's got an archery coach which is amazing um but you you know he walked you through how important foot placement was and you were kind of talking to me and teaching me about this stuff um so he was remember he was telling you like you got to have your feet square to the target right yeah and actually even this last i did a, another i've only done so i've done three lessons with him spaced out like every two three months or so um but the, my last lesson the first piece of advice he gave me was like don't move your feet because like i i put the arrows down you know at the at the archery shop where they have like this little like metal tube thing you put your arrows in and I, it was a, like maybe a foot and a half in front of me yep. so i shot my first arrow and then my second one i moved my foot up to grab one an arrow and move my foot back after i knock it he's like don't move your feet like once you set your feet like that's why people have quivers you just keep your feet in the same position mm-hmm. and, and that's yeah he's that's super picky super picky right and that's super yeah. important for target archery because you want to do the same thing every time right but the same principle and he's told you what 45 degrees your target about um yeah pretty much yeah pretty much 45 yeah the same concept applies to hunting because if you like for guys on the podcast like humor me stand up pretend you're drawing your bow uh you know with your your foot pointing towards the wall then try to turn without moving your feet right like the best you can do is like 45 degrees to one side 45 degrees to another and i'd argue you have really bad form at that yeah. point it's like really you've only got a fourth of a circle mm-hmm. that you can shoot without moving 
And so it's incredibly important to set up like neutrally pointed straight to where you think the elk is going to come from because you can only go about 45 degrees to each side. Right. If it doesn't come in that area, you have to move, right? And that movement is bad news bears. Yeah. Um, so just a simple thing is like where you turn and face could be the difference between you getting a good shot or not. Yeah. Um, and so I always, always like set up with your, your shoulder, your shooting shoulder towards where you think the elk's going to come out and down the middle of the lane. And that's going to give you the widest kind of opportunity without having to move your feet. Right. Yeah. So you don't move your feet, but then if it's, you might still have to rotate your torso, but wouldn't they see that too? Or, or do you just have to time it? Right. Yeah. You can time it. Right. But I mean, there's a difference between rotating your torso, which you can control. And like we talked about slow movement. Mm-hmm. Never move jerky or fast um, and stepping somewhere. Cause when you step your whole body moves and it's almost impossible for you to be super smooth with that. Yeah. Movement. The whole outline just shifts. Over, shifts, right? right? Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about it in a second, but I anticipate you moving too, but like okay. that's, you, that's the best case scenario is like be as quiet as possible. Cause yeah. you're going to have to draw and that's a bunch of movement, right? It's yeah, just yeah. upper body movement. And it's a short one versus moving your whole body is a lot of movement. Gotcha. Um, okay. And most importantly, with moving your feet, uh, you have to look down because uh, especially like this is one of the big differences between Colorado and Idaho. I find Colorado at 11,000 feet is a lot greener. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to worry as much about foot placement, but Idaho is pretty poppily crackly dry at 9,000 feet. Um, but both situations, you absolutely need to uh, look before you step because if you pop something at that moment, you're done. Oh yeah. Right. Uh, elk nailed you. It knows exactly where you are. Uh, so that's another tip is when you set up, square your shoulder, clear the ground around your feet. So like look down, you know, you know, hopefully you're setting up well before the elk's coming in. So take the moment to shuffle all that, the twigs, the pine cones, the leaves out of a little circle, mm-hmm. right. And kind of move it around so that if you do need to move, you know, worst case scenario, you do need to reposition you can reposition with a minimal amount of effort. You don't have to like look down and like put your foot in the perfect spot. You can kind of look down and just put it in that circle somewhere. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. And that's again, it goes hand in hand with picking your lanes. If you got three or four and you need to reposition like two or three feet to get to another one, Mm -hmm. then you kind of have to clear that whole area. Got it. So if you're watching me set up for an elk, I'm, I'm running to the spot. I'm frantically looking around. I'm picking up my bow. I'm gauging the, the distances and the obstructions. And then I'm like, setting the bow on the ground and I'm wiping stuff mm-hmm. all around, away from my feet. Right. I look like a, uh, like a little anxious animal. Like I'm just rooting around <laughs> down there. Um, yeah. Just, I'm setting up everything totally right. Uh, and then the next thing to do is to range stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is spoiler alert for that YouTube article. This is the number one reason people miss, miss all. Oh, oh yeah. I think you told me this, that they don't range, right? They, they don't, don't range, range or they have the range wrong. They have the range wrong and they don't range, which are almost always the same thing, right? They just don't use the range finder. Yeah. Uh, and so my piece of advice to you is there will be tons of times you're like, I can't move my hand cause it's going to see me, but you're like, I don't know the range. Mm-hmm. If that elk, unless you're a hundred percent certain that elk is under 35 yards, you have to range. Yeah. Uh, because the elk there starts to fall off at that point and like guys miss elk all the time i've done it the second year i shot the elk opening morning in colorado we went to idaho the next week um this is also we laughed about this with with margaret right first time we walked out and set up i was like i don't want to set up here she's like let's do it 
elk walks in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I called it 20 yards when it was 35. It's guys are That's like, how right. the hell can That's you right. do that? Trust me, it's really easy to do. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And my bow, had, the sight had been knocked off by about eight inches. Oh gosh. Um, so I ended up <laughs> just like nicking the brisket of the elk and we followed it. I like, talked about it for two days. It was totally fine, but we wasted two days and what could have been another elk on the ground. Yeah. Uh, wow. So, uh, my thing, this is personal. This one's really personal. A lot of the other things I think almost everyone agree with would agree with, but I always range 20, 30, 40 because oh. rule of threes, right? You've learned this in business for me, <laughs> right? I always say everything in threes. Your brain is really only capable of remembering like three or less things in a stressful situation. Yeah. So guys are like, well, why don't you range 20, 30, 40, 50, 60? I'm like, yeah, man, if you can remember that under pressure. Like, good on you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always range up to 40, right? Uh, it's A, it's hard to memorize more than three things. B, after 40, your arrow trajectory really starts to fall off. So you kind of want to range anyway. Mm-hmm. And then C, like, well, if that elk is past 40 yards, it's probably not going to pick up on your movement as well anyway, right? Got it. It's okay. kind of the magic distance for me. And so what I'll do is I'll pick, and it's like, it, nothing's really exactly at log or at, uh, excuse me, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Uh, nothing's exactly at 20, 30, 40, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of ranging everything. And I'll find something. I'll be, okay, log at 20, tree at 30, uh, piece of grass at 40, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll be like, log, tree, grass, log, tree, grass, log, tree. And I'll just kind of repeat okay. that in my head. Mm-hmm. And so I know where those things are. Uh, and I can, you know, I'm visualizing the pin. So I'm like green at 20, red at 30, green at 40. Like I'm you know, tying those together in my head. I'm just running through that the entire time. I'm waiting for the elk to come in because if it walks in between grass and tree, I'm like between green and red, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anywhere in there. Does that make sense? Yeah. That makes total sense. Yeah. Because you want to have those close distances memorized because if it's within that range, you really can't lift your range finder. It's the catch 22. You need to know the range, but you can't lift lift the range finder. (laughs) But if you get that nailed down, then when it comes in, you're, you're set. Now, when you range something 20, 30, 40, do you range it all in the same line, like towards where your uh, where your like sh- front shoulder is pointing, like, or do you range it like around you, like 45 degrees off? Or yeah, generally, generally in the line of the that I, the shooting lane, I expect them to come down. Okay, um, but if I've got multiple lanes, yeah, I'll do do the same thing up and down a few areas. But again, it's getting to the point where it's really hard to to remember to remember. Yeah. Um, but it's also, if you have 20, 30, 40 out ahead of you, mm-hmm. uh, it's a lot easier. I don't know how to describe it. There's so many times you'll go in and you'll be like, is that 20 or 40? But if you've got something of, re- of reference, it's a lot easier if you turn to the right or the left. Yeah. You kinda, your yeah. brain can kind of just draw that circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not never that worried because I'm like, oh, that's 40 over there. And I look left. I'm like, oh, that's probably 54. And I look and it's like 53. Right. And trust me, I could never do that if I just walked up to a spot. But. Mm-hmm. When you do have a benchmark, it, it works out pretty well. Okay, got it. So you basically pick like a 20, 30, 40 in one line and then almost like a protractor, you can kind of move it to the right a little bit and kind of yeah. get close. Yep. Yeah. Keep it simple, stupid, right? That's the age old saying. Like, yeah, it's just in that stressful situation, just keep it simple. 20, 30, 40, one line. Uh, you can adapt from there. Um, so knocking an arrow, like we talked about this, but like, as part of my shot sequence in the practice episode, remember I said, always knock the arrow first. Yeah. Uh, 
because that is the one thing that holds you back from drawing your bow, right? So get that done. In this context, uh, I'm more talking about like ambushing elk and sitting down. Dude, I cannot count the amount of times I'm like, I'm just stopping for lunch. It's no big deal. Or oh, I'm just going to take a pee or oh, X, Y, right? And maybe taking a pee like it's a minute. Okay. I'm getting a little crazy there. But if you're stopping for more than five or 10 minutes anywhere in elk country, you should have an arrow knocked. Gotcha. Like have the arrow knocked. And this, that time that I creased the brisket of that one we we're just talking about, I didn't have an arrow knocked. Mm. I had told my wife, I just don't believe in this, right? And uh, I'm just being stubborn. It's part of my personality, right? So we all have things to work on. And uh, I had to knock an arrow while that elk was there. And trust me, it is near impossible because wow. it's a lot of movement. Oh, so yeah. Around and then do this. And it just uh, it doubles or triples the amount of movement you got to do versus just drawing. Right. Um, so just if you're setting up or you're finding a position, you should already have an arrow knocked. Like just get it in the bow. Yeah. Because that elk okay. might come in faster than you think, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so super important yeah okay and then the last thing i'll say before you're taking the shot uh when the elk does come in is another reason i'm a big fan of mouth diaphragms is that you don't have to have a hand occupied mm-hmm. um, but even if you don't have a mouth diaphragm a great way to stop it is to make a little noise yeah yeah i've seen people do this in videos yeah it's really common but the number one mistake i made and i think a lot of guys make i've seen in videos is they make the noise when the elk is where they want to shoot it. Mm-hmm. Remember how we're talking about stalking and slowly the other episode where you have your, your foot in the air and like, it's impossible to freeze like that. You always have to go yeah. one or two more steps. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with an elk. And so right. the mistake you can make is that you wait till the elk's in the lane and you mew, and that elk will go one or two more steps and stop and look. And by that point it's out of the lane with the brush right. covering the vitals and you're like, dang it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're making that noise, always make it, one or two elk steps before you want that elk to stop. Okay. Yeah. So you're stopping it just before you, it gets to where it needs to be. Cause it's going to yeah. keep going like a step or two into yeah. that spot. Okay. And so maybe a great place is like, if you you're watching it about to come into your lane and trust me, your heart is in your throat and you should be drawn <laughs> at this point. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can talk maybe a second about, about drawing after this, but is to write when it's vitals are covered by the last obstacle, then mew. Right, because then it's yeah. it's already got the momentum. It's going to step out and it's going to stop, mm-hmm. uh, and that's so. Timing that is actually a really important thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, that's, <laughs> that's getting stressed <laughs> yet. No, yeah, it must be nerve wracking, especially to hit a diaphragm call. Yeah, I I, I just got to get really really good with the diaphragm call. Yeah, you should get really really good with the uh, the cow calls. Yeah. And that's a cold start. It's like archery too, right? A lot of guys will practice 90 shots in a day, but like the only shot that really matters is shot number one. Yeah, true. What is your cold start? Like same with a rifle, right? What's your cold bore shot? Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same concept across all this. So with the diaphragm, instead of sitting there for 40 minutes, I think it is good to do your 40 minute your session, just like while you're watching TV or something, trying to get good with it. Yeah. But I, I'll leave one on my desk, uh, especially now that we're working remote. It's great. But you know, every hour or two hours or something when I've forgotten about it, then I'll pick it up, put it in my mouth and try to hit a note the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the best practice you can get. Okay, man. Yeah. And to do it under pressure. <laughs> yeah. And you, you honestly don't at that point, it doesn't have to sound super realistic. Cause you're just trying to make a somewhat innocuous noise. 
that doesn't mm-hmm. scare the crud out of them. Right, right. If you're yeah. like, hey, it's going to run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if you make some sort of like, mew, peep, or some sort of weird little soft noise, mm-hmm. um, it's going to be like, elk? Like, how did I not see you? And stop, right? Yeah. Uh, so drawing, I actually didn't really write about drawing. Um, there's so much to these things, man. I spend like 10 hours a week writing these articles. So there's only so much I can fit in. But drawing, um, I don't really feel like there's much I can tell a guy that he can't figure out himself on that. Like you got to draw when they can't see you. Yeah. Right. Like that is yeah, so it it's, when it's behind, when it's eyes are like blocked by a tree or something. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, and that's, it's pretty hard to write an article on that because it's always going to be different depending on your individual situation. Yeah, totally. Right. Uh, I mean, this is a big reason I'm an advocate for finding your max draw weight and dropping it like 10 pounds. Mm-hmm. It's because so you're hold. Ability, yeah, you can hold. That's another one. But your ability to like, like if I told you, hey, Josh, I want you to draw your bow over the course of 15 seconds. Would you be able to oh, do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm drawing half an inch every second. That's super hard. Right. But that's slow enough that an elk won't freak. Mm-hmm. Right. And so your ability to do that and to let down that slow is really, really helpful if you're close to an elk. Yeah. And so that extra five pounds of draw weight is you know the, the typical uh, thing is you get two feet per second per pound of draw weight so that extra 10 feet a second is going to do nothing but mm. but that extra five seat you know five pounds might make it easy for you to draw and let down which is really going to make a difference yeah gotcha. so that's why we i know with the range the other day we had you you're like 58 or something like that i think i'm at like 54 right now four ish okay yeah. you're gonna up it a little bit but that's mm-hmm. why we're not trying to get you to like low 60s yeah. Uh, is your bows, it's really funny too. Like, oh, I'm going to go on another little rant. I've got a few of these today, but I'm going to go on. <laughs> um, you know, the, the minimum poundage limits have been at 40 for mm-hmm. like 20 years or 50 in Montana, right? And that really upsets me because my wife can draw 44. And what she can draw at 44 now is what you could draw with a 75-pound bow 15 years ago. <laughs> you know what i mean because the bow is yeah. so stinking efficient and stuff is oh good. yeah, yeah, yeah. bows gotcha. have gotten so efficient and fast that like i'm 100 percent confident you could kill an elk at 55 to 60 pounds yeah 100 percent confident and i think everyone's like trying to pull 70 trying to pull 80 um it just doesn't matter man like it really doesn't matter um it's an ego thing it's really what it is mm-hmm. um it, so I mean, that's my little rant, right? But you just don't need to. What's more important than the speed of that arrow is that you use a heavy arrow because you're going to transfer all that energy and that you're able to let down and draw super smooth. Yeah. So anyway, that's my that's my personal rant. And everyone's like, what pounders do you draw? And I'm like, well, I, I think I up it to 66 before elk season. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was only because I tuned it there last year. And it, yeah. when I upped it back to it, it was like, I mean, you saw it the other day at 100. It was like dead nuts perfect right yeah yeah it was uh you know like five arrows and six inches i'm like if i can do that i'm happy um so i don't want to retune it mm-hmm. but if i was tuning tuning from the ground up i'd start shooting 63 yeah so, so you can pull slow and it, it's easy and especially like you said coming off cold yeah because i can yeah. i mean i can draw 63 with like my thumb on the grip right like that's <laughs> like i can pull 73 74 so that's the level i want it Mm-hmm. And I can even better, I can shoot a hundred, 150 times in a day and not even have sore shoulders. So it's right. like just so much, but I think we're going to get, um, 
I guess down here to talk about uh, your shoulder strength and injury too, but read, read forums. Every guy you, you'll listen to that's older is like, Oh, I have a shoulder injury. It's like, you do not want that. Yeah. <laughs> the end of your archery career. It's totally. Okay. Anyway, that was a good little rant, right? <laughs> yeah. So basically shoot a lower poundage than you think you need. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's going to make a massive difference in uh, the movement you make, which is going to make a big difference in your shot percentage. Yeah. Yeah. Versus that extra 10 feet a second isn't going to matter. Like if you're right. shooting a shooting a heavy arrow, you're going to, it's going to penetrate anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. Shot placement. And we're wrapping it up. I know we've been going long, but this one's well worth the time. Um, this one, you know, I was starting to write this and like when someone's got a better article than me or like I just linked to it, Corey Jacobson <laughs> has a phenomenal one. Just so yeah. good. I've linked to it on the, the, um, article there but my theory on this let's talk my theory here on the podcast um there's you know traditional shot placement is like right behind the crease of the shoulder Mm -hmm. and that's with the rifle right and the idea behind that is you really don't want to hit a bone with a rifle because if you do it's going to be a mess you're going to ruin a lot of the meat uh, especially right the decent meat on the shoulder uh archery is really different if you tag and it's not the end of the world if you do hit a bone with a rifle because the bullet's usually going to go through still mm-hmm. archery is really different if you tag a shoulder blade or a bone for most bow setups it's done you're not going to kill that elk it's going to stop it from penetrating it's going to run off and you're never going to find it yeah um so instead uh, you know for me it's not about like hitting x area x three or four inch area it's about minimizing your ability to screw up (laughs) yeah it's the realist's approach to elk hunting right um and so an elk actually has huge lungs like they're they're like 20 inches long right they're massive um and so what i think a lot of guys don't realize is you find that crease in the shoulder let's say the elk is looking to the left so if you went to the left you'd go to its head right Mm-hmm. If you go straight up from that crease, the shoulder bo- bones actually go um, out in a triangle, like an arrow pointing towards its nose. Mm-hmm. So if you go straight up from the shoulder blade, there's still an area eight or 10 inches to the left of that when you get midway up the body that has no bones. The shoulder doesn't go straight up from the leg. Yeah. So you can actually shoot directly above the leg, halfway up the body of the elk, and there's no bones there. Huh. So that gives you a margin of error to shoot to the left, right? Versus if you're trying to shoot right behind the crease of the shoulder, right at the bottom of the elk, yeah, there's a shoulder blade right to the left. Yeah. Right? And the elk, the the lungs actually go back another five, six, ten inches from right the crease kind of behind the shoulder. So anyway, I'm getting into details here, but I always, always go crease of the shoulder back like an inch or two, and then I go directly up to halfway up the elk's body yeah so like the top to bottom like just straight midway because that gives you six inches to the left that gives you six inches to the right that gives you like 12 inches up or down mm-hmm. uh, that gives you a massive window of margin for error right versus if you're trying to put an arrow right behind the shoulder blade you, you have like a four to six inch area to put it in right right so the, the you're pointing at the spot that gives you the biggest margin for error yep yeah yeah and that's, that's uh, perfect Corey's article he's like 90% on the same like he's and I would trust him over me on this one he shot more elk um, for sure but 
that uh, that window, he's got it nailed in that article too, and puts the dot right where it is. What I'm talking about, but that gives you a massive, massive margin for error um, in there, and that's that's everything, right? Because no matter how good you are, you're tweaky, you know, you're you're high stress. Like it's just, it's hard to make a good shot, right? Yeah, it just makes a lot of sense too to to shoot where the highest margin for error is because that will give you your biggest chance of success rather than like risking getting a perfect shot in that little small spot but you know, yeah lands in the guts or the shoulder blade and oh, that just that sucks yeah and that guy's you know that little triangle i was talking about guys call that the golden triangle because like if you do put something in that area like it's it is phenomenal how fast elk go down so it's not you know i think everyone kind of wants to put it back behind the shoulder blade but I, honestly the higher and further forward you put it the better yeah so it's not a bad area to be in. It's the, it's better if you screw up and go into that area. Um, and that if I'm somewhere, I'm 100% confident, like under 30 yards. Uh, I mean, I'm 100% confident that I'm going to put something within like an inch, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, then I'm going to put it in that golden triangle because I know it's going to shoot. And I actually have a personal belief that's, I'll tell you my opinion, but I'm not confident enough to make a statement that this is what you should do because I've only done it, you know, three or four times at this point is uh, uh is to put that uh you know shoot them high watch them die is the same mm-hmm. here um so if you shoot elk lower in the body this is my theory and i've heard it from a lot of guys i really really trust um if you shoot them lower in the lungs as the as they bleed it drains right mm-hmm. and that's going to be really good for tracking so you will get a lot of blood um but their lungs aren't filling up um, they're not gonna, they're gonna be able to go a little further mm-hmm. versus the elk I've shot a little higher and the other animals. This isn't just elk. I've shot 50, 60 big game animals with the rifle. Uh, cause a lot of trips to New Zealand and other things, but if you shoot them higher in the lungs, the lungs fill with blood, mm-hmm. they fill with blood really quick and they just, they can't go far with that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the downside of that approach is that, uh, they, they're not going to bleed much, right? Because the blood's pooling into the lungs versus coming out of the body. Oh, okay. And so there's really no right answer. And I love it when guys are like, this broadhead sucks. It gave me no blood trail. And they posted a photo of a high lung shot. Mm. Um, and it's like, yeah, well, I mean, that is what it is. And this is why, spoiler alert for next week, I'm a big advocate of learning to, tr- uh, to track wounded elk by their tracks, not huh. by the blood. Because the blood uh, is really not that reliable. Uh, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, yeah. But that... That shot placement, anyway, I'm just arguing for why I draw a line halfway up the body. Is It's not a bad thing to drop it in there higher. Yeah. It really isn't. There's an area right under the spine that's dead area that you can't put an arrow mm-hmm. uh, because there's nothing vital there. There's no lungs. So that's too high. But halfway up the body is is a great place to start. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and we'll hit it quick before we wrap up here. But the uh, one of the things, especially if you're solo, that you're going to experiences an elk might come straight in on you yeah i remember asking you this yeah and this is really contentious right guys are uh get really up in arms about frontal shots so let me just describe it and then we'll talk about it um Mm -hmm. the elk you know when it comes in and it's frontal it's got this you know four to six inch area if you like reach down touch your adam's apple and slide your finger down to that little kind of hole yeah uh, that your throat goes through Mm-hmm. that's basically what you're looking for. But, you know, it's going to be two or three times as big on an elk. Yeah. Right. So it's a narrow little gap. 
However, every major blood vessel that goes to your brain, which is the most blood flow of your entire body, goes right through that little thing. Mm -hmm. So if you put an arrow through there, it is lights out done. That that thing is done within 10 yards, kind of done. Yeah. Um, That being said, it's a tiny little target and you got to know exactly where it is. Uh, And so there's a lot of debate here because guys are like, that's not ethical. There's not high enough odds. Um, For me, I personally believe that it's very ethical if you're within a certain distance, right? Mm -hmm. Because uh, you've only been shooting bows like six months, six months, and you're you're definitely above average, but you can easily hold a grouping within two inches of 20, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and that's, you know, yeah, that's on paper. That's not a stressful situation, but I'm, right. I'm very, very, very confident that you are holding a four inch group anywhere out to like probably 30 yards, 25 yards. Mm-hmm. And so I think at that distance, that's well within where that little area is. And I think it's a very viable shot. Would you say like, if would you cut your um, effective distance for a broad shot, broadside shot maybe in half for a frontal shot? Or is there some kind of math people do to figure out what's ethical for themselves? Yeah, probably about a half, maybe even a little less. Yeah. Um, I'm basically like, what's the, what is the distance that like, if someone said you have to hit the X on a target, you're like, ah, greater than 80% of the time. Mm-hmm. Like the, the 10 ring, right? The little or the 12 ring on uh, 3D, like this perfect yeah, you're, you're going to do it. Um, that's kind of the distance there. And then even bring it in a few yards just to be extra sure. Right. Um, but where to aim for this, uh, it's also really, again, Corey's done phenomenal work here. I think that article has some of it. But the point of where that thing is, it's not a lot of guys aim where the tan goes to the dark on the neck, you know, that line. Mm-hmm. It's actually about four or five inches above that. Okay. And so you have to shoot there. So if you're going to take that shot, me describing it on a podcast is not good enough. Like I'd say, go follow that article link. You're just uh, YouTube frontal shot elk, you know, see if uh, I think there's a few tutorials there. Yeah. Spend the time to really get to know where you need to put that shot. But especially if you're sh- um, solo and an elk walks into 2030 and really thick timber straight at you, mm-hmm. that might be the only shot opportunity you get. Yeah. And does it have to be perfectly straight towards you? Or what if it's like slightly, you know, facing a different direction just slightly turned yeah it pretty much has to be straight be yeah, okay. i mean it can be like maybe 10 degrees off but not it's much more, not huh? much yeah so it's yeah. got to be that's a shot more than any other that you're like things are perfect right okay um it's got to be dead nuts so but it's a there are plenty of times where that happens um i haven't sh- i haven't shot one yet doing that but there's been three or four encounters i can think of you know my post killing an elk scouting trips like during hunting season where i've called mm-hmm. in an elk and it's come right to that spot wow um so i'm like if i had a bow you'd be dead but it would be you know but the, but it always was that where they come straight in yeah um, um i have a question about drawing the bow like how early do you want to draw the bow because you don't want to draw when it's looking at you right yeah well i think you know i can give you answers but i think the better way is go to the range and draw that bow and see how long you can hold it Mm, watch okay. a pin float right, right. so you're yeah, yeah, yeah. your normal pin float mm-hmm. watch out because pin float is what leads to target panic so don't try to punch it but uh just draw that thing and then watch you know maybe start a timer I mean, you're not gonna have a timer running out there since it's in your head but just watch you know and start to see where you start to get really shaky and really yeah really beat up um but there's also an art to like dwelling 
and they call it dwelling in the valley there, mm-hmm. where you're not like crushing the back wall. You're putting just enough tension to stay in the valley. Yeah. Um, because the second, the thing you can do to really stabilize your shot is you can stay kind of in that valley and then right before the shot, even if it's like a minute later, you can mm-hmm. then crush into the back wall and that stabilizes you for like a second and you punch, you know, good. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so, I mean, I've... I've never shot an elk after being at draw this long, but I've been at full draw for like a minute and a half, uh, which is a long time that I let down. But it's uh, what you'll learn is that your effective range is just decreasing that entire time. Yeah. There's this real interesting trade off between like just letting down and, you know, keeping your, your muscles fresh and like just being set up for the situation. Yeah. Do most shots happen where you're holding for, they probably they probably happen where you're holding for longer than you do usually hold that during practice, huh? Yeah, I mean, it, this is one where I've watched. This is I'm relying more on YouTube videos. I've only shot you know four or five times, right? But uh, the most of the time, actually, elk move in fairly quick. I'd say mm-hmm. it's more the exception than the rule that you're going to be hanging out for like a minute or two. Oh, okay. Um, which is good news because they're yeah. generally they're. If they're waiting that long, they're super, super alert and tentative already, which is you're in a bad spot. Right. Um, but they're gonna they're gonna walk in fairly quick. So, you know, with with the ones I'm shooting, either hopefully they're unaware you're there. That's the best case scenario, because then you can draw. Mm-hmm. You can draw quietly. Uh, or they're moving at a decent clip and you see them, you can anticipate it. And you know, if they're 50 yards away and they're walking, like they're gonna beat hundred yards away and they're walking, they're going to beat at 50 yards in like 10 seconds. So you've got, you know, the first little flash of tan, you can see you've got plenty of time to draw and get set up and it's not going to be long before they're into bow range. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm nervous because it it seems like it would be better to draw too early than to draw too late. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, if they're looking at you, your host, yeah, draw, but I mean, it's hard. It's an art form and there's not, uh, there's not like rules of the road I can really give you. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say, look at, you know, watch some YouTube videos. Right. Um, yeah, totally. I probably should have linked to like five really good ones, but <laughs> you'll kind of just pick up on it from watching other guys and from being out there. But I don't, I honestly don't think that's the make or break a lot of the time. Surprisingly, everyone really focuses, they write articles on shot, you know, shooting elk. It's all about, you know, when to draw the bow and how to do that. But I don't really, and maybe that's just because a lot of this is instinctual from the spearfishing, but I don't think that's really where guys will struggle. I think what will make or break it will be the movement they make in other ways or the shot, like where they set up the shot. Right. Okay. If you, shut, uh, if you set up a shot well, you're off to the side, right? Mm-hmm. And so what? Uh, let's walk through two scenarios. Guy doesn't follow what we talked through today, sets up in front of the elk. It walks straight into the doorway. It's looking for him. And he draws the bow and it spooks. And he's like, oh man, the key to success is like drawing your bow at the right time. Uh, I see. Versus you're off to the side, you're set up well, you're before the doorway, the elk's not looking for you. You could even, in that situation, you can probably draw the bow slowly when you're in eye range of the elk because it's like looking ahead, it's not aware. And so even with that horrible of a draw, like during the period it's within your area, you'd still get away with it. See so you know what I'm saying? And so his yep. takeaway might be, oh, drawing is everything. But my takeaway and my strong point of view is it's all about you pick the right position and you uh, you set up, you're not moving, right? Yeah. Those, so I'm kind of going full circle back to like why, you know, guys don't realize the little things matter, but that's my, my viewpoint on 
making good shots. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, if you're set up for it, it makes everything else easier, it sounds like. Totally, yeah. So the drawing is kind of an after effect to a mm-hmm. good setup. Uh, it's really what it should boil down to. Yeah. Oh, man, now when I'm out there, I'm going to be thinking of so much stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, I think with all these things, like you don't, and this is what we talked about, how anal I am with all my equipment and my food and all this technique is like, the time to think is now. And then like mm-hmm. time to practice for you since you're new might be like when you're walking in and stuff. But at some point, you know, it's just stop thinking. It's got to be instinctual. And like, yeah, uh, it's, it is what it is. And like, you've, if you've mentally thought this through, even you talking this through with me or guys listening to the podcast, um, you've already ingrained a little bit of that in your brain. Yeah. Like when the elk's walking in, you're like, where do I range? You're like 20, 30, 40. Right. Like that's going <laughs> to pop into your head. Right. So right, you know, right. that made a big difference. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, don't, you don't carry a checklist with you. Don't like think what are the five things and try to remember that in the moment. Cause like, it's like a speech, right? Public speaking. If you try to remember exactly what you're going to say, you will always choke. Right. Like it's just, yeah, you don't, uh, yeah. Don't overthink it is what I'm trying to say. Like mm-hmm. practice now, think now, do your stuff, but in the moment, just trust what you're doing. Yeah. And I think I'm going to listen to every one of these episodes, like during my drive and just, just review real quick. Um, but yeah, my, one of my mentors always says like things happen twice first in your mind and then the second time in real life. So Mm, at least getting the picture of this stuff, you know, the first time in your head is really good. So yeah, Yeah. you don't go into it fully, like everything's surprising, you know? Yeah. No, it sounds hippy dippy and Hey, we've got two guys that were from California uh, talking about it here, but like visualization, and uh, I think where I really ticked over to this is something that's key is when I learned the Navy SEALs all through this stuff, right? Navy SEALs are always in the news now, but like they, they have coaches that walk them through visualization exercises because they've, right, they've right. seen the power of it and they literally, mm-hmm. like it's, it's so successful, the military literally trains them on it. Um, and for me personally, when I was racing mountain bikes, um, uh, back when I was doing that, I, uh, the last year I raced was kind of when I was transitioning into professional life and I didn't really have time to practice, mm-hmm. but, uh, and I used to race the downhill, right. Which is like skiing. It's really high speed jumps, that sort of thing. Um, but I literally, your first time in a job, you never are more hungry for doing something. That's not a job, right? <laughs> it's, uh, I would visualize how I'd, you know, how I'd race and what I'd do on each course every day. And I was just like all day, all of this, this is like the elk hunting of my life at that point. All I'm doing is thinking about visualizing it. I've never had better results. I've never practiced less. Whoa. I've never had better results um, during that period of time. Cause I think you just, you can literally make your mind have an experience. Um, and this mm-hmm. is how people get into anxiety and depression too. If you're focusing and walking through horrible scenarios, it's like you went through them. Um, it's the same right, thing with right. focusing on positive, good things. Um, but it's the power of it. Like that also convinced me. I'm like hundred percent convinced that if you visualize and think through and walk through how it's going to go down, uh, there's so much wisdom in that statement. Yeah. That's, it's super powerful stuff. Yeah. And so I guess people for new people listening to this podcast and all these different episodes that have never been in the situations, myself included, it, this is like the first step to start to paint the picture, I guess, for us to imagine like to, I guess, make the things that we didn't even know we didn't know, uh, mm-hmm. make the unknown a little bit more known. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like dreams, right? Like the mind can't really tell the difference between what's really vividly imagined and what's actually real. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. Totally. That's exactly it. And that's, I mean, guys laugh, but like, I think we're at a time where you have the most amazing opportunity 
ever for an archer, which is you can go on YouTube and you can watch shot encounters over and over and over again. Right. Right. You don't have to watch a 30 minute video, just skim to where it is like uh, on your mobile too. one of the YouTube app. If you double tap the right side of the screen, it jumps 15 seconds to the right. Mm -hmm. So this is a lot of we'll do is just keep double tapping that until you see the shot opportunity and then just jump around the video. Oh man. Yeah. That's so true. Huh? Yep. And so that'll help you. You get that situation. You can now visualize it, right? You can yeah. watch it, but then you can pause the video, close your eyes, reenact it and be like, what would I do? Yeah. Right? Differently than this guy. Um, mm -hmm. And that's uh, that kind of stuff is you're that's practice, man. You are getting ready to rumble. So yeah, uh, it's going to make you an effective, effective elk hunter. Awesome. Now I'm going to go on a binge of watching born and raised and looking for those shots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'll be good. It'll be good. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Do. And again, remember the context, right? Like those guys call, 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 call. Ah, uh, yeah. That's right. coming in. And so they're going to get a lot of, uh, a lot of elk come in front. So a lot of elk that come in fast and hard. So it's mm -hmm. going to be a little different than what you might do if you're ambushing or stalking elk. Yeah. True. Uh, so try to mix it up a bit, you know, look at different, different styles, strategies, yeah. You watch guys that wait a wallow, watch guys that, you know, ambush something that's moving across a hill, right? There's, you mix it up. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. Yeah. Well, I think that's, uh, I think that's kind of everything I've got to say on making the shot. But uh, I mean, to sum it up, like most guys are going to get one, maybe two shot opportunities in a week. Right. And so wow. that's, if you're lucky, that's what you're going to get uh, mm -hmm. for your first time or two elk hunting. And so, you know, you're the higher, the better you do at capitalizing on an opportunity. That's what doubles your success rate. All kind of triples your success rate. So yeah. this stuff is so key. Think about it, visualize it, go back and forth on it, practice it as you're walking in. But, uh, you know, if you, if you make sure you pick the right position, think of the doorway, limit the movement, you know, make a good shot placement. That's world is yours. You're going to do well. Yeah. And that's that last step. Oh my gosh. I think we're, we're getting close to the end of the series now, huh? This is pretty much it. I think we've got one more to sum it all up, but, uh, this has been, man, quite an epic endeavor and a lot of, uh, effort, but it's been pretty awesome, man. So maybe we'll spend the next week or two going back through and reviewing for you, but, uh, I'm pretty excited. You're almost there, man. You were like a month away. Oh, it's so intense. Oh my goodness. I can't believe it. We did, we've done like 21 parts of this 22 23 part series now um so last one's making that shot happen then next week we're talking about is it i'm looking here tracking field tracking, dressing field packing. dressing packing all the good stuff there that one of all the like little tips i've got that one's got probably the most i wrote that one the other day and it's oh man it takes like three thousand words <laughs> <laughs> nice and then you got the that super cool video i just saw you post up the uh the time lapse of you you guys the elk. Elk. yeah yeah with yeah. the sun going down too it's pretty yeah cool. yeah yeah it's it's super fun so yeah we'll look forward to next week but yeah i guess that that one will be up shortly as well awesome but big thanks to guys for tuning in i know a lot of guys are listening to the, the hunt backcountry one now and then we've got a few other things coming up um so really excited to have guys here we're super like the reason we do this is for other guys at this point um it's really fun to just like meet other hunters and hear what they're saying so leave us feedback tell us how it's going um, like or subscribe if you want to help us out that is the only way we get this out to more people so if you appreciate this we'd really appreciate that drop us a review um, and if you want to keep in touch and understand everything that's going on you know instagram youtube publishing articles on the website we're doing this i just send one newsletter every week, just one email. Um, so you can sign up for that on the website. 
uh, baxterbowman.com, B-A-X-T-E-R, bowman.com. And there's links in the show notes to the, the articles and all that stuff too. So that's our little plug. We got to do it. <laughs> we got to do it. Got to do it. Helps us out. Yeah. Drop, uh, drop us a line to encourage Josh too. We had a few people rooting for him and uh, giving him tips. So we really appreciate that. We're, I'm going to be so excited to see how it all goes for him. Uh, yeah. Whenever, whenever you forward me one of those emails and I'm, I'm just, I just get the biggest smile on my face. I'm like, wow, it's so cool. Like That's people, it's, it's cool to just see other hunters encourage other people and like, not think about it like a scarcity thing like oh if you're if you're gonna go out like that's one less elk for me like i think that's kind of dumb it's cool to see people have such an abundance mindset and like help each other out in this so yeah and that's uh that's that's this to a t and then we're done after this i know we're going on but that's this to a t like if you guys have read this been like holy crap dude like you open the kimono like you're giving guys all the details like you know what's the deal like you're giving away all this knowledge for free they should earn it I think there's a healthy level about not giving everything away because I don't want to take away the learning from guys, but like, I think you nailed it. And like, I, I learned a lot of that from you. Like, I think I'm Josh beats me in every aspect on that mindset, but like (laughs) if you're, yeah, if hunting is something that's going to be under attack and assault by tons and tons of people for the next 20, 30 years, like if every guy tries to get two or three more hunters into it, that's how we preserve our heritage. That's how we preserve the sport. That's how we keep public lands open. That's how we do it is giving away info and teaching other guys. And that's like everything this series is about is teaching you and like other people. And like, I think the more we do that, the better. Yeah, man, I can't wait to be out there and like, we should probably record a few episodes while I'm out, while we're out there, like maybe four or five days in on my first trip out and come back do reflection like because it'll be all this stuff we're learning but then the experience to back it all up and like close those feedback or close those loops in my brain like oh yeah i did the 2030 thing but i forgot the 40 or, or whatever it might be yeah so. yeah the mid-season and the postseason of this is going to be as interesting if not more interesting <laughs> than the, this stuff i guarantee yeah it. so yeah because now it's all theoretical but i'm going to go put it into practice and make the mistakes in real life and, and start getting those lessons like burned into my my mind yeah and as we talked about the only success metrics if you learn because if you learn your odds are going up and up and up so it's going to be very good. true awesome cool cool well, let's wrap this one up and we'll uh we'll come back next week with tracking field dressing and packing all right thanks for tuning in guys